Computer, initialize Holosuite. Welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 5, Episode 13, For the Uniform. Before we continue, you can find us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and X as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Absolutely, and as I say every single week, you should find us. You should follow us because we're awesome. Uh, this is probably the best that you're gonna best time you're gonna have. Now I say bar none on a Star Trek Deep Space Nine dedicated uh, podcast. Screw the other one. I don't. <laughs> I like those guys. Don't get me wrong, but um, I feel like sometimes you know you just gotta you want to get into the core of the thing and uh, talk about the show itself and not all the every single behind the scenes bit. Um, and this is what we give you, okay? It's a lot of analysis of the episode, good, bads, highs, and lows. You just can't beat it. And with tonight's episode in particular, you're going to get a lot of that. This is a fantastic yeah. one. So, um, obviously, I, I guess you can tell, I'm really excited to get into this one. But, of course, before we do all that, I'd like to check in. So, David, how has your week been? Week's been good. Um, it's funny. Uh, all this week, it's been dead at work. And then today, it was busy. And it was like, great! making sales making money this is exactly good you know it's weird when i'm sl it's slow and i'm busy doing other things it's more of like a pain to have someone come in because like hey i was doing something else i didn't expect to be one because it's been dead all day but when you're busy like you're happy to see people because it's like it's been busy oh there's another person like i'm already in the in the zone so like oh hey someone else um so that was good that was nice um this week i finished the White Pill, which is a book about the history of um, the Soviet Union in particular, which was interesting because I haven't ever really studied much about the Soviet Union. And uh, mm -hmm. it was really interesting because it, it covers basically 100 years of the history of the Soviet Union, uh, everything from Lenin's rise and Stalin's stuff and then just all the terrible, you know, police state nonsense that they were trying to do to control their population. Um, very interesting book. Really enjoyed it. And then started band of brothers. Cause uh, now that uh, the new show masters of the air is coming out soon. I wanted to read this first before reading that and then seeing the show. And as you mentioned recently, you'd recently rewatched the show. I plan on rewatching it here after reading the book. So good. Just it one is. of the best it's shows such ever. Such a great, yeah, man, if you haven't seen it, I get Go watch it. I exactly. mean, it's it's amazing. It really is. Um, I'm, I don't. I mean, like, there's so much I could say about it, and I mean, that, that could be a whole show in and of itself. But um, oh, it should. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Go watch it. And the crazy thing about it is, like, if you even if you have watched it, if you want more of that, there's so much extra stuff that didn't get put into Band of Brothers that now you can find on like youtube and max and so forth that's just little extra bits especially stuff with um 
Captain Winters, you know? Yes. Uh-huh. Um, there's just there's so much about the guy. And as I said before, when we talked about it, he's probably as close as we'll get to, like, a real-life, like, hero action star like you watch it and you think oh they could probably stretch the truth here they eliminate no they didn't like, yeah he did those things mm-hmm. and then you can listen to him tell his story in yeah. his own voice the man himself yeah. and it's it's just as riveting i've watched several of them now mm-hmm. i kind of went you know into this weird band of brothers spiral there for a minute and i mean yeah. he's 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 a great storyteller too. On top of everything else that the man is, he's a great storyteller too. Um, so yeah, go go watch it, man. Yeah, it's a, it's a I, treat I know for that sure. there are uh, copies of interviews he's done, but I've never actually looked into them before. So yeah, once I get done reading the book, I'll be happy to do that as well. Um, mm. It's fun reading the book because I've seen the show so many times that like I, I can see the scene as I'm reading it. But it's fun to get like the authentic account uh, mm-hmm. and then compare it in my head to the real thing. Uh, which is the show in my head, because again, that's what I've seen. Um, and to know that actually maybe these little details are a little bit different, but or like the names, like Buck Compton. I know who Buck Compton is in my head, but like who's the real guy? What does he actually look yeah. like? That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so fun stuff. Great, uh, great show. Great book so far. Um, the other thing I was thinking about this week. Uh, there's two things, I guess. Actually, first off, have you heard of the book The Three Body Problem? Actually, I just heard about it. It yeah. popped up on a recommended reading list for me, uh-huh. um, and I and like literally all I saw was just like the name, and I was just like, I feel like I'd heard about this before I'd even seen it, right. but I didn't know anything about it. So yeah, it's popped up on my little you know recommended reading thing right. uh, through Amazon, and I was thinking about getting it, yes. but I don't know anything about it. Have you read it? Do you have it? I don't have it. I actually thought about buying it today, but when I went to the bookstore before coming home to record um it's funny i went there last night just because i was perusing i was thinking do i want anything i was thinking about this book because uh the reason i was thinking about it is because netflix is making a show based on this book this book the three body pro problem is based on a book by a chinese author it won a bunch of awards really popular uh very recently and uh i i was i wasn't sure if i was interested in it but then like there was there was an announcement that's a netflix show like the trailer dropped maybe that's why i heard about it was the the announcement of the show because it popped up and i was like that sounds familiar right and but i but i was like maybe we just talked about the book in passing because we obviously we discussed a lot of books um and so i just thought maybe we had talked about it in passing and that's why it seemed familiar to me but maybe that's what it was I heard the announcement and didn't mm-hmm. realize, you know, the connection. Yeah, the trailer is really interesting. It's being um, produced by the same two guys who did the Game of Thrones books, uh, Dan and Dave. I don't remember the last names at the moment, um, but that was like the big tagline. It's like by the by the guys who brought you Game of Thrones. I was like, oh, so oh, you Net- know, Netflix gets a Game of Thrones, eh? exactly. Yeah. And it's uh, the trailer was really well done. I was really intrigued. What's funny though is when I heard about this book at some wait, point in the wait. last year. Are these the guys that did like season one Game of Thrones or season eight Game of Thrones? Because well, like there's a there's a reason. Well, to be to be fair, they were in charge the whole time, so they were both. Oh, and so oh, okay. that's that is a very good point. How much are they just you know bringing the mm. book to screen versus trying to fill in gaps? Because that's what was the problem with the last seasons of Game of Thrones is there weren't any books anymore to base the show on. They were having to kind of go with it as they thought maybe the plot would continue, and that just didn't work by the end. But anyway, uh, the reason I bring it up is because uh, I, I want to read the book before the show comes out because I'm thinking, hey, I like this what I like to do. I like to read the book before the show. Uh, but the show comes out in March, I think March 21st. So that's okay. still about two months away. 
And I was uh, part of the reason I bring that up is because you and I had talked about uh, reading the Count of Monte Cristo, and so I was thinking, in order to give you a head start, like I won't read the Count of Monte Cristo until probably sometime in mid February. Start it. So I'll give you if you want to join me in reading that again, you can read yeah. that. Um, okay. And then uh, basically, with the reading plan I have in mind, with the books I have. By the time I finish the Count of Monte Cristo with my reading plan, I could then read the Three Body Problem and then be done with the Three Body Problem book in time for the show to come out. Um, which I think is always fun to like finish it yeah. day of and be like, ah, now I know like all the plot elements. Now I can watch the show. Um, so that's my thought. Okay. Uh, do you do you still want to yeah. do the Count of Monte Cristo? I know you just yeah, moved, I do. so you didn't have time for that kind of stuff. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I was gonna say, you know, for my week, we, you know, we did just kind of finish up all of that stuff. So we're we're done now. It's just like cleanup of the old place because you know it was an apartment, so we got to do that part. Um, hopefully, I get to do it. You know, as as you know, we have like potentially winter apocalypse 3.0 bearing down on us uh, this evening. Um, it's uh, January 13th. So by the time you guys hear this episode, we'll hardly be a week into it. So it's either going to be nothing or it's going to be terrible, depending on who right. you talk to. Um, and it's all supposed to be hitting, you know, sometime around tonight into this morning. Um, it's winter cyclone vortex. I've heard so many different meteorological terms for whatever it is that's about to descend upon us, you know, and of course I've been out in the stores and um, it's total chaos everywhere you go. Um, so I've, and I, I hate that. I hate going into overly crowded um, like grocery stores and whatever else. And right. of course with things like this, you just, you can't avoid it. Right. So um, no matter what time you go, no matter how you plan, it was a mess. Um but I did get everything I needed to do, take care of for that. We've been preparing. So we're good to go here. Um, good. I hope that you're you're good to go where you are. Pretty well. I mean, okay. I don't think this is going to be a snowpocalypse again. But yeah, yeah. I, I'm hoping I'm hoping not. And then if that's if everything holds pretty steady, then I'll go back one or two more times and finish out the the sweep and whatever, and then be done. Right. Um, my lease over there is officially up on the thirty first, so there's still plenty of time. Right. I just don't want to be hit with like a dumpage of snow and ice, and then I can't drive. Right. So you know, there's that. Yeah. Um, Speaking of day of things and being excited for them and everything else, if you have followed along, have you ever heard of a series called uh, True Detective? Yeah, I watched the first season. Yeah. Okay, and you with Matthew McConaughey and um, Woody Harrelson. Um, Woody Harrelson. Yeah. It was a phenomenal season. Um, Creepy as hell. That last oh, the yeah. finale. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Season two wasn't bad, but it wasn't as great as season one. I think that's kind of globally agreed upon that's why i never um, watched it i heard it wasn't as good as the first yeah. season and i was like ah, well I'm gonna pass then but well now they're coming back with season three and it actually is supposed to drop tomorrow the 14th and apparently if i'm f picking up the right message from the promos that they've been showing this is a continuation of an overarching storyline that has been running since season one I did not realize that when I watched season two. And I think it's because there's such a disconnect in the, the way they present season two. It takes you a bit to realize that it is 
sort of loose it is loosely related to season one but now they're coming back and they're really leaning into the the story and uh, continuing it out in this new iteration so i'm really excited for that i've been going back and kind of like picking a couple of episodes here and there to watch in order to be ready for um the next one it looks great um i like the casting i like jodie foster uh i think she's gonna do a great job in this I, i can't think of anything i've ever seen her in that i didn't think she did a great job in um she really hasn't been to me it feels like anyway she hasn't really been active in a while, so I don't know if this is a kind of a return for her or what. Right. Um, but I'm really excited to see it, uh, and I really hope that it does do justice and kind of you know brings things up and kind of restores the level that they were at with with season one. Because I mean, man, did they just hit it out of the park with that first season? Right. Um, but yeah, it looks it looks really good. It looks really interesting. I like the the what we're seeing so far and of course i'll be watching that um when it drops um i've also been watching the show um both jack ryan and reacher which are on amazon Mm -hmm. um all of jack reacher or not jack Jack all of jack ryan is out but reacher they're doing kind of like a once a week thing Mm -hmm. which i don't know if i like that or not i kind of i guess i prefer the binge dump the binge culture (laughs) yeah so there's so there's that in addition to you know whenever I have time to you know move things around and work and my kid and everything else I just you know little pockets of watching these things or reading something or whatever I have not started the sixth book I've been kind of holding off as I've obviously been working through a lot of other things um, so um, there's that also before we actually get into this episode really quick <clears throat> excuse me next week. We will be releasing our After Dark episode where we talked about Star Trek First Contact. So for those of you who uh, knew that that was coming and still haven't seen it yet, I do apologize. Um, I was trying to figure out a proper time when to release it. And we've just had so many other things going on that just really didn't seem like um, it was the right time to do that. But I'm going to go ahead and do that and have that out for everybody um, next week. Um, The week after that, we will announce our contest winner. So um, remember, you had to say you had to write the key phrase in a comment on uh, the last three um, uh, videos that we did for YouTube. Um, We'll announce our winner the week after that. So that'll put us into February. And then, of course, we will have our After Dark for Nemesis Games. So lots of stuff coming up that we're giving you here. And I hope you stick with us for all of it. Yeah, I'm I'm halfway through rewatching season five right now. See, um, yeah, it's addicting, man. I actually got my my brother in law has finally agreed to uh, read the books as well. Oh, give He's the gonna, books a go. Okay, yeah, yeah. I told him I had to lay it all out for him. I was like, man, they're they're great books. They turned it into a show. It's a fantastic show. But don't watch the show. Read the books first and everything else. Found the books for him. He's doing audio book. So um, got all that. Yeah. Got all that taken care of, and I'm like, yeah, just just do it, and you're gonna you're gonna love it. And when you're yeah. done, I'll take you through the show. So yeah, uh, yeah. I'm so, still trying to get my parents to watch it. I know that. I mean, yeah. I, I will say again for anyone who remembers me saying anything, season one of the show for me it didn't quite jive. It wasn't until season two that I really got into it, and so I feel like I need to like mention that to people. Like season one takes frankly it's a little bit rocky because they have the problem of the first season is that the team doesn't gel yet it's not season two that they start gelling as a group um which is interesting because that's the first season of the show 
I'm talking too much. The first season of the show is the first half of the first book, and then it's by the end of the second book, or sorry, the beginning yeah. of the uh, first season when they finish the first book, where they get to start gelling as yeah. a group. And well, I think anyway. that I think that you know, you're there's so much that they want you to really kind of fall in love with the character of Miller in the first go, and it's kind of hard to to get into that character without a, a book background mm-hmm. because like, I found the character way more enjoyable in the book than I did. In the, um, in, the, yeah. in the show you're able to get into uh, his head in the book yeah you can't do that in the show so yeah yeah but we're not here to talk about all that at least not yet we are here <laughs> tonight to talk about for the uniform mm. and as always a way to describe this episode is um i'm gonna say dynamic it's just it's fantastic everything about this one was just uh to me just great. It's it's. We'll get into it, of course. But yes, I'm going to go with the word dynamic for this one. And um, go for it. Would you? Okay. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. All right. Um, it it seems like these episodes, especially with uh, when it features Cisco, you know, it is a a favorite of mine. I, it ends up with me being the one to do it. Of course. But yeah, um, for sure. So this episode starts with we see Cisco in um, out of his uniform. He's in plain clothes. You know, and apparently. In order to denote that they're like on, um, you know, a, a spy mission, Star Trek has decided that everybody has to wear a vest. If you look at all of Trek, anytime they're not in a uniform and they're in espionage clothes, they're wearing some kind of stupid What's vest. What's that man doing wearing a vest? He's a spy. Yes. Oh, he, he must be doing reconnaissance. You're totally right. Yeah, it's awful. Uh, Everyone first contact. Does it. They, in first contact, Jonathan Frakes. Commander Riker, yes. he's got a vest on, baby. You're he's totally got a vest. right. <laughs> he wears a vest. They they all do it, and they have been doing it since like forever. So I don't know what that is, but it's that's that's Trek for spy or undercover. Yes. <laughs> so he's looking for somebody. He's looking for a contact. They're in some kind of cave or underground dwelling. Something. He gets the nod that the guy is looking for is behind a curtain. Goes behind the curtain. No one's there. All of a sudden, Klingon phaser drops out of the side, pointed at his head. Turns out it's Michael Eddington. Eddington is back, and so we find out that Cisco has been on his trail for the past eight months trying to hunt hunt him down and he's basically giving cisco the ultimatum you leave us alone we'll leave you alone we don't have a problem with the federation we just have a problem with the cardassians um this doesn't obviously sit well with cisco who feels personally betrayed by eddington and um eddington beams out and then he follows hot in pursuit on the defiant um, they track. They go to try to track him down, but of course, it's like not really him, and or something like that. I forget, uh, but not really important. Basically, they didn't. They didn't. They don't get him in that in that instance in the Badlands. Um, they then try to keep tracking him. Uh, they head towards the Badlands. Eddington has too great of a lead on them, so they're not going to be able to catch him up right away. He contacts the ship called the Malinche um, to try to head him off. Uh, Eddington, realizing that the Malinche is going to try to close in on them, he turns around, comes back towards the Defiant, and he enacts some bit of sabotage that he had planted on the Defiant a while back, which wipes out all of its systems. And then he contacts them via a new bit of technology that we haven't seen before, the holographic communicator, which allows you, instead of having to watch everybody up on a giant view screen, makes it look like they're right there in the comfort of your own bridge. And um, basically he tells them 
uh, what he's done and that they're going to have to head back to the um, to Deep Space Nine to get everything fixed. Yeah. Uh, the Malinche tows the Defiant back to uh, Deep Space Nine. Chief O'Brien tells him it's going to take like what does he say two, two weeks, weeks to mm-hmm. fix the to fix everything that mm-hmm. Eddington messed up. Mm-hmm. And he also they also get a briefing from Odo and Worf. And Odo has a nice little snippet where he's basically <laughs> saying, "Hey, remember when Starfleet stationed old Eddington here because y'all didn't trust me? Yeah, uh, who's sitting pretty now? Like basically, <laughs> that's what he's doing, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a great little moment, it you is. know. And then yeah. um, uh, so they all leave, and then the captain from the Malinche comes in and he informs Cisco that uh, Starfleet has tasked him now." with um, tracking down Eddington and that he's been taken off the case. Right. This does not sit well with their captain. And as a brief aside, is Cisco? he's like either really tall or this captain is really short. Because they were standing and they were, you know, the face-to-face thing, and Cisco was just like kind of towering over the guy. And I knew that the Avery Brooks was kind of tall. The camera angle helps, but you're right. Yeah. yeah. I, knew the, I knew that Avery Brooks was kind of tall. I didn't know he was that tall. Yeah, well, um, it's so real like, zoomed in on him, man. It's yeah. like we got every facial reaction out of yeah. Avery Brooks's face in this episode. And, he's, and that's we do particular. multiple times we get it, and we're yes. going to get into that too because I think that Avery Brooks gives a stellar performance. He does. I, I want to just mention that. I'll save yeah. it for later, but keep going. Okay. So Cisco is upset that he's been taken off the mission. He uh, ends up going to the hall suites where he's taken out his frustration on a punching bag, being held by Jadzia, and they're having their own little bit of banter while he's working out his frustrations. He basically, at one point, he even says, "In 25 years of being on active duty, he's never been taken off of an assignment until now." So it's really eating at him that this has happened. Um, they get, Akira calls down to them, tells them that something's happened regarding Eddington. They head back to Ops and they find out that the Malinche has been, no, it wasn't the Malinche. It was, um, some, some Cardassian something or another was, was under attack. Right. And, and, and basically that if they had shifted the balance of power in the area because the Malinche was the only ship now because the Defiant was out of, out of commission. And so now that meant that, oh, yeah, they had attacked the Cardassian uh, freighter ships that were carrying some certain chemicals, chemicals yes. that they were able to turn into biogenic weapons. And they had enough materials to bomb every Cardassian um, colony in the uh, area, in the demilitarized zone. Right. So that effectively shifted the balance of power because they didn't have another ship to which Cisco says, oh, no, we got another ship. And. One of the coolest scenes I thought, because it's like everybody instantly knew what that meant, and you could just see them like no one, no one fought it. They just all fell in line, and everybody yeah. got onto the uh, platform to go to the Defiant. Right. Um, we get to the Defiant. We find out it's in pretty bad shape. That you know a lot of systems just don't work at all, or they're working at half power. Right. Um, they decide to use Cadet Nog as kind of the voice of communication on the ship. Yeah. And we get to watch a really excellent scene that's like a breakdown of how a ship is run which you've never seen it done that way in trek and so there's a lot of things that if you're if you're like me you've probably watched this and thought of how you could do this job right right but then you get to see there and like that you could live in this world that you could be a starfleet officer i mean i think that's the fantasy of every trek fan since ever right but then you get to watch this breakdown that they do and they just and it's it's 
beautiful. It's a great scene. And again, we're going to talk about that later. But I just wanted to say that really quick. Anyway, um, they take off in pursuit of uh, Eddington. The Malinche comes under fire and is basically stranded. So now the it's back on Cisco to to bring Eddington in. Um, they have a yet another confrontation with Eddington, um, thanks to Odo, who relays that he's tracked down a message that was like a Breen lullaby or something like that. And right. they realize that this is kind of pointing them in the general direction of where Eddington may be hiding out. The Breen system. Or going to right. attack, actually. He's going... Yeah. Yeah. Or no, he's no, his, he's storing his chemicals. They said that's where the chemicals for the biogenic weapons were. Um... Um, they head in that general direction. They do end up tracking down Eddington and like one other ship. Uh, they get into a bit of a firefight. They blow up one of the ships. Eddington gets away by attacking yet another Cardassian ship mm-hmm. and makes them have to save the Cardassian ship. He be, he also contacts Cisco and sends him a copy of Les Miserables and right. um basically starts calling Cisco Javert and right. through Cisco's reading of the book again he realizes that while Eddington's trying to frame him as Javert that means he thinks of himself as Valjean right. so he's living out his own little Les Misérables fantasy because he's saying it's his favorite book right. and so Cisco kind of gets into his head a little bit and realizes that what Eddington needs is a good villain right. and uh, he decides to become the the good villain for Eddington's tale. Right. And after Eddington has now, by this point, he's also bombed two Cardassian colonies and made it to where they're inhabitable for Cardassian life. Uh-huh. Cisco does the same thing to some Maquis colonies and poisons them so that they're inhabitable to human life. Right. Um, he then makes a grand announcement that he's going to do this to every Maquis colony he can come across basically which then of course gets Eddington to be like wait a second like you can't do this you're betraying your oath you're doing all this stuff and Cisco's like yeah I don't care Uh, I I want I want you I want to arrest you so either you turn yourself in or I'm just going to go around blowing shit up Right. And uh, so Eddington's like, okay, okay, don't do that. If you, if, you, if you don't do that, I will give you our biogenic weapons. And Cisco's like, yeah, no, not enough. Right. You. Yeah. To which ultimately Eddington agrees and he gets arrested. And the episode ends with um, uh, Odo escorting Eddington to jail. He's, you yeah. know, they all, it's all wrapped up here. Yeah. Um, but that's it. That's essentially the episode. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about here, but I just wanted to give you those points. And if you want to watch it, which you should, you should want to watch this episode, um, go do that. You can watch all of them on Paramount Plus. Go watch it. Um, you can listen to us later. Unfortunately, you won't be able to partake in any of the live stuff that we do. But you can go watch it and come back and see if you're right, if you agree, and if you don't, whatever. And leave a comment for us, and maybe we'll we'll talk about you behind your back or maybe on the next episode. Right. But that's yeah. it. That's the episode. Yeah. So I got to start, of course. What did you think? <laughs> First time viewer, what did you think? Yeah, this is a this is a good episode. There's a lot of decisions that Cisco makes that I'm like, man, you're just. I mean, there's the whole there's all like scene where I think it's before they get on the Defiant to go. Yeah, so before they get on the Defiant to go, is it before they go leave? You know, get, yeah, they're because they went to Defiant to find out how like how much power they had, and Cisco's walking with Dax, and he's like, so just tell me like. 
how dumb I am. I'm risking the ship, mm-hmm. the station, my career for this vendetta. I forget what Dax says in return. Um, she says, you're becoming more like Curzon that's what all it was. the time. I was like, man, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. And that's what Cisco says, too. Um, yes. Yeah, I I will. I just have to say that up front that I do feel like Cisco makes. I mean, Cisco makes a lot of risk this episode. And to be fair, that's what makes for fun storytelling. And certainly mm-hmm. I imagine that if you're going to be, you know, a commanding officer of any sort in the middle of a dangerous wartime situation, even if it's just skirmishes there are times when you got to make decisions for yourself and orders be damned so i'm not saying that it's like all wrong but the real problem for me is beyond all that is the damn ship is pretty well in like they're having to reboot all the systems and they haven't got that all finished before cisco's like all right men charge right (laughs) like so you know we just we just watched how a scene and a half ago O'Brien said it's going to take two weeks. Yeah. And now here he is. And 24 he's hours like, later. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you want to do what with my ship now? Like, that's yeah. kind of how O'Brien was like, um, and he says, let me give you the bad news all at once. And he just listed all these things that don't work or right. at half power, which well, I thought was great. And what's so funny about that, O'Brien doesn't ever say, like, I'm sorry, Captain. I can't do it. This ship is too bad, land. I can't do any of this. It's impossible. <laughs> None of that Scotty that's, stuff. That's not, o, that's not O'Brien's way. He's he's very much a. This is it. Here it is. Yeah, but it's just funny that he's he never really gives any sort of strong like. Uh, sorry, Captain. Like this this ship is, it's still not operational. He's like, yeah, it's operational if you consider it like half, like half capable of doing hey. anything. You know, even even hey, the I mean, com badges do, don't work. <laughs> like, right. Oh my gosh. Do you, I mean, do you want to get there? Or do you want to get there in style? I mean, there, yeah. there's there's a couple ways we can do this, you know. Yeah, and having um, a Nog there uh, relaying all the commands, which I thought uh, the actor I forget his name who plays Nog, Aaron um, Eisenberg. Yeah, he's a young kid basically in this in these episodes still, but he was he was there, man. Nog is full on cadet. He is he is there, and it's great to see his character really grow and he fits his role perfectly. He's, you know, uh, cadet, are you ready to go into a combat situation? Sir, yes, sir. All right, for words on the bridge. And then he's got the calm thing, and he talks back and forth. So it was fun seeing Nog step up. Um, but yeah, it's just, <laughs> when Eddington was all like, this is all personal to you, Captain. This is a problem. Part of me was like, yeah, I do feel like Cisco's taking some risks that maybe he should back oh, up yeah. on. Oh, but, he definitely is taking a risk, and we're going to get to that particular yeah. decision that he makes because it's one that has been hotly contested about how Cisco uh, committed a, a whether or not Cisco committed a war crime. Um, oh, I'm yeah, I always point. come down on the side of no, he didn't, and there's a very obvious reason for that, um, and we'll, we're going to get to that. Um, but I do first think that we we have to talk about that scene where you know they decide. Everything has to be announced and everything has to be, you know, we're, we're watching them actually perform these functions, which we've always seen people do in in Trek, you know, on the Enterprise, Geordi, Data, Wesley, whomever's at the helm, just doing these things. And we understand that the technology 
by this point has become also rather intuitive. So there's a lot of things that you don't have to just really think about or, or, or plan out. You can just do them. Enter in a few functions and the ship goes, it turns, it does whatever, right? Mm -hmm. This is the first time we're seeing a full breakdown of how all that stuff works and we're hearing them call it out. What levels things need to be set at. How to actually turn the ship. That scene with Jadzia piloting the ship out and away from Deep Space Nine and the sharp turn of the Defiant as it sailed past that pylon. Great. Great stuff. And um, I just really, I really enjoyed it. And uh, turns out that it's actually a uh, uh, homage scene, I guess, to an old... Um, I guess technically 60s movie, even though it came out in 1958, called Run Silent, Run Deep, which um, I don't know if I ever talked to you about before. I feel like I have, because I've watched this movie, and you can watch it right now for free on YouTube if you want. It's a 1958 film starring Clark Gable, and it's 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 great. It's well done. If you like kind of those, you know, one old school black and white movies where they, you know, they do the the submarines and it's everything's got to be quiet because any kind of noise can, you know, telegraph your signal up. to the enemy and things like yep. that. And they're rigged for silent running and what all that means and running drills and all that kind of stuff. It's a great movie for that. And, um, I remember when I watched it, you know, um, I, cause I'd watched it a couple of years ago and then I just so happened to have watched this episode again, the way they call things out and stuff, they did a great job with translating that here in this episode. So, um, yeah, go watch that movie as well. If you want, like I said, you can find it on YouTube for free. It's mm -hmm. called run silent, run deep. So I'll just um, say right yeah. here while you're talking about it, submarine movies, I think most every submarine movie that's ever been made is at least good. If it's not great, yeah. it's at least good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is about them. It's, I think it's, it's so easy to ramp up the tension in those movies oh, because you're already underwater. You're already under pressure yes, and the dangers literally. of just the environment killing you, let alone fighting in that yeah. environment. Yeah. It just, it adds another level to it. And yes, you're right. Like I can't think of a bad one right. that I've ever seen, unless you get into like the super ridiculous ones where it's like they're in submarines, but they're fighting aliens or something. Those movies are not, are not good, but right. when it's like, yeah, like uh, the Hunt for Red October is probably oh, the yeah. easily identifiable U, U great sub movie. One with Matthew McConaughey. That's yes, just speaking of him again. Um, heck, even the Abyss, which I saw a couple years ago. Love, love the Abyss. Really? Even though it's not technically a submarine movie, well, it's, but it's, it's, it's a it's great set under the water kind yes. of. Yes, Ed Harris. Yes, and um, well, and it has and it has aliens. I just said. You well, know. that's why I, that's why it brought to mind when you, <laughs> as soon as you said it. Um, the uh, and of course every every I mean, basically that's why you know basically Star Trek is on some level that it is mm -hmm. a submarine and but not under the ocean it's space and yeah it's it's uh, same pressure. Um, how do we get talking about that? How do we get just moving on to on to that? Because the this, that scene it's uh, an homage to Run Silent Run Deep, which ah, is yes. Uh, uh, the, the '60s movie Dude, with Clark Gable. Say, as they were leaving the station, it was hilarious. All right, I need to come about, so I'll let the momentum take me. Go up too much, and like too much in your head, overcorrect, and they're just right. spinning <laughs> at the top. And then they come back, and they're heading toward the pylon. And Cisco's like, "I hope you see that pylon there." Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a great, 
it's a great scene because it's like again so many times you just hear the captain like issue an order and the officer and the equipment you know they plug in the stuff and they make the adjustments and you know again a lot of it's supposed to be thought of as intuitive the ship kind of knows what you want it to do you don't have to have you don't have to have this super hard level of technical expertise but a lot of them do have it anyway because you know if something breaks you need to be able to to fix it and work with right. it. And that's what we see here. The ship is broken. The ship is at half capacity at best. Right. So these highly trained, skilled technical officers are able to pull this stuff off and we hear them do it and watch it in real time. So it's a great scene to right. to see for Star Trek. And um, I mean, I don't think I could sit through like a whole season of them doing that. Right. But um, it's it would be nice if that came up a little bit more. Like, you know, for Voyager being stranded in the Delta Quadrant and have to make a 70-year journey back to Earth, you would think there would have been maybe one or two more of scenes of them being broken down and doing those things. But no, nah, nah, they just hit factory reset every week. So, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. But, um, uh, again, great scene. And uh, to go into other great scenes... This episode, I think, highlights why I love Jadzia Dax so much. Her relationship with Cisco in this one, fantastic example. They were they were great. That pairing was fantastic from beginning to end in this episode. What do you think? What do you what do you think of our a full showing of Dax here finally? Yeah, I mean, they. This is definitely an episode where like we really get them together more than we have in a lot of instances. I mean. Yeah, there was a lot of it. Um, again, I'll just say that I, I do feel like Dax is still kind of like when she says you're acting more like Curzon. It's like okay, that is maybe a good thing, maybe not. I mean, because we know Curzon was a mixed bag. I mean, to be very clear yeah. to Curzon, um, and do we want do we do we want Cisco to become Curzon or stay Cisco? Well, even well, even Cisco says I'm not sure how to take that. You know, yeah. so. Even he's so aware it, that it's, it's it's not necessarily the compliment that um, she may not fully that she wants it to be. Right, and like the moment where he's thinking about the whole Miserab comparisons, you know, I'm Le Javert, so he's um, Jean Valjean. Valjean, and so uh, to be very fair, the moment where he says, "I want to," I guess I'll become the villain or whatever he says. The line was great. I mean, again, Avery yeah, puts his, his hands that, down, that, amazing. That, the voice, the, the the menacing, the subtle menacing threat that yes. he always gets to deliver yeah. don't is let, fantastic. Don't let Cisco talk in a low, quiet voice because that means bad things are about to happen to you. Oh, yeah. But my, what I'm getting at is that Dax was a little slow to catch on to kind of what he was getting at, um, which was a little kind of a bummer in the sense that, like, it wasn't like the two of them, like, working out this thing together. It was Cisco coming to this realization. Um, and he's, he's the star of this episode, and she's kind of tagging along in some aspects. Well, um, I feel like but, she was, she wasn't so much tagging along or even being slow to get what he was doing more as she, she allows him to come to the decisions himself, but she never wavers in her support of him. And she helps him to kind of like talk through some things. Like even when in that scene where he's like, I already know what you're going to say. And he runs through the litany of things and she's just standing there and then she tells him, she's like, actually, that's not what I was going to say, or that's not what I was thinking, you know? And it just kind of shows that they are, uh, while on a lot of things they are in step, it's just like there's 
they're sprightly off just enough for them to complement each other and work well with each other. Right. Um, she's, you know, she's there with him when he's getting the breakdown from O'Brien in um, engineering. And it's just, I, I just like the way that they were paired up on a lot of this stuff. Right. Um, because you're right, it's not something that we've seen a whole lot of. And for them to be the, you know, thickest thieves friends that we're supposed to think that they are, it's weird that we don't really see them talking with each other and working through things a lot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. She's in the holodeck with him while he's beating the hell out of the punching bag, you know? Which was and a fantastic scene. I want to get to that yeah. in a moment, but keep going. Because what I mentioned, I want, but, I want to talk about that. Yeah, for sure. Well, we could do, oh, yeah, we could do that right. I, I loved it because I just loved how, you know, again, she's literally supporting him. She's holding the bag for him while he's just wailing on the thing right. and giving him some great feedback without actually being like, you're wrong here or this is right or, you know, kind of you know, playing into his feelings or anything like that. She's just letting him kind of, you know, vent. And to be very fair, it really nailed that point home. What he says is, is I'm not like a changeling. I'm not an alien that's lived seven lifetimes, but I'm still like a captain. I should have seen this happen. So he basically says both. I mean, he didn't say it to Dax directly. He didn't say, Hey Dax, you didn't notice. He doesn't say, it's your fault. He says that like I was captain. It was my responsibility to know that Eddington was a, was a problem. And I have no excuses. It's not, he doesn't, he's not saying that um, he's a changeling or he's a, an, an ancient alien. He's just saying my role required me to know these things. And I have no excuses. I don't have anything to fall back on. Even if I consider Dax, Dax's ability to, like, she's, she's, you know, lived seven lifetimes. Like, my, my, mm-hmm. my point is, is that he's not, Dax is standing there and she could have taken that comment about living seven lifetimes as personal. And she could have been like, what are you trying to say? Like, it's my fault. She didn't do that. Mm-hmm. She's just letting him get his anger out. And I have to say this while we're on the subject. That yeah. scene is probably my favorite scene in the whole episode because Avery Brooks is punching that bag as hard as he can he is not faking anything he is yelling no, he's he is, in it he he's is absolutely in he it. is sweating for real that's not fake sweat only only patrick stewart as picard has ever put in as much emphasis and ever committed to a scene in a star trek episode as avery brooks is here i've seen for us uh, Patrick Stewart, you know, there are four lights. I've seen moments like that where uh, Patrick Stewart has really committed. No actor. And we just, and we just saw him in First Contact where yes. he, he has his Captain Ahab moment and loses yes, it. You know? Exactly, exactly. And so the um, that's exactly the comparison I was thinking of making. So yeah, that that it just like uh, Avery Brooks is the captain. He's as much as, as, as Picard or anybody else. He is, he fills the role. Um, and I, yeah, I'm glad that Avery Brooks is not in any way lesser than any other captain because I know you've mentioned before you feel like the show kind of gets kind of put aside by people. Um, it but does. Avery Brooks has never once been the reason for that. If, if, it ever, yeah, no. if, it's, if it's true, it's not his fault. Um, I, but there has been that criticism. There have been some people who have said that the reason that the show doesn't get the same kind of limelight and response is, you know, because of the way that avery brooks was and the way that cisco was portrayed i disagree i feel like the show would have failed if if it wasn't for the strength 
and the conviction that he brings to the role. You couldn't have gotten that kind of, like, let's transpose characters for a second. If that was Picard Mm -hmm. and he had been beaten like that and was feeling so, you know, well, feeling so beaten the way that Avery, the way that Cisco was here, he wouldn't have gone to the gym and been punching it out. He no. would have been sitting in his office or in his quarters, brooding right. until he figured out a clever speech to give to right. rally the troops and to make this thing now come out peacefully or whatever. We certainly wouldn't have got the analysis of of Javert and Jean Valjean and 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 watched him become the villain. I think he would have, even if he would have got there somehow, he might have threatened it, but I don't think that he ever would have done it. And I think that's where we always, it's where you have to draw that clear line of distinction between those two characters. I mean, Cisco is certainly not afraid to really be, you know, he's he's a fighter. And right. we see that here in this boxing scene. And we see how he takes Eddington to task later on. Right. Um it's it's a great scene. It's an absolutely powerful scene. And you're right, like Cisco, Avery Brooks was fully committed on that punching scene. Yes. Um he would have he just went for it and that is one of the things that I love about that character and that we just don't have with any of the other characters in Trek. I feel like probably the the captain who probably would have got closest to this would have been Kirk. Sure. And um but even then I just I don't know if Kirk would have done it. I think that's where we also find our distinction with Cisco. Cisco crosses that line. Um, the rest of them get close. Kirk getting the closest because Kirk was kind of reckless on some things. But <laughs> but yeah. Um, uh, with, with Picard as my best uh, comparison because I again, haven't seen the original se- the original series. Um, yeah. Like Picard in First Contact has a similar moment where he's been told by you know the high command like you can't go join the Borg fight. It's true. And he he says screw it. I hear the battle's going badly. I need to take action. Uh, he has a personal vendetta, uh, as Cisco, as uh, Cisco does here, and uh, so he dis- disobeys orders. So I don't. I want to be very clear. Cisco disobeying orders in the episode is not necessarily uncommon for a Star Trek officer to do. My only mm-hmm. problem was like, hey, uh, the Enterprise was ready to go. I mean, it's a new ship entirely. It's it is peak. It's peak technology, etc. The Defiant, meanwhile, has had a serious problem of all its systems going blank. So maybe give it another week. I mean, to be fair, uh, later on we find out the other ship that they were uh, uh, in the it was in the area was also disabled by Eddington. He's actually pretty capable of uh, apparently taking out Federation starships, which is pretty concerning. I must say, like you're really you got to take Eddington down. Um, but yeah, Cisco is not the only person who has vendettas and disobeys orders and then doesn't get reprimanded for it i mean at the end of the episode no one comes to cisco and so, says you disobeyed orders sir <laughs> you have to go to and, the <laughs> and so on that point i will say that he didn't necessarily disobey orders the he went after um eddington because of the biogenic weapon threat so Eddington escalated, and it then became necessary for them to go. Fair That's right. why Starfleet didn't really put up much of a fight. Then on top of that, shortly after they departed Deep Space Nine, the Malinche was attacked and disabled. So if he hadn't responded, there would have been no ship out there, and right. Eddington would have been running around unchecked with biogenic weapons. So well, to be, 
to be the stick in the mud for a quick second, the uh, the other ship uh, hadn't been disabled until after the Defiant had left. And part of what happens when they're in the plasma field is that Eddington distracts them so that he can attack the other ship and the Defiant can't help. But that's just more yeah. it's showing how Eddington turning out to be a genius. I mean, Eddington was always kind of this, you know, goody two shoes Boy Scout type before he revealed himself. So it's, it's interesting well, to see him turn into this kind of genius machin, you know, of as, machinations. And... As Odo says, one of the things that Eddington told him, the best way to hide something is in plain sight. Right. Who suspects the upstanding security officer who's all about rules and regulations? Let's not forget that in a previous episode where Eddington was still on our side, of course, remember when they were all sitting on the bridge and they were talking about what they would do in a situation or not? And Eddington gave that whole elaborate speech about not having any feelings one way or another. He just He's just a humble security officer whose I job it is orders. to follow. Yeah, I just follow orders. I'm and sorry, I disabled the Defiant, Captain. I was told by my superior officer that I needed to do that to stop him I needed from doing to do stuff. It. Right. So he's already I'm proven just... that he's capable of actually stopping Defiant. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not a, it's not a, that's true. He also has proven that he can disable the Defiant. He's one of few. So yeah, I mean, he's, he's very clever and he's obviously, you know, almost to the, um, you know, just that level of being in disguise there and letting that whole assumption of all Starfleet officers are good cloak him while he does these terrible, terrible things here. Right. And now that he's free of all that, he is using his knowledge, his skill set to just run amok all over the place. Right. So, yeah. Um, he's uh, he's interesting, to say the least. Yeah. Um, and so now let's get to the decision, right? Um, Eddington poisons two planets, and in response, our now villainous Cisco decides to poison two planets. This is where the controversy kind of comes in with this episode. This is the one moment where people are like, this yes, Cisco created, yeah. yeah, committed a war crime. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was just pointed out in our chat here um, that yes, when this episode aired, everybody was convinced that Eddington was a changeling <laughs> and that this was going to be the reveal of Eddington being a changeling. That is, that is correct. Um, but for this decision that we're talking about here, um, I have always come down on the side of this is not a war crime. Um, this is kind of a restoration of balance. Yeah. Because if you remember, Eddington struck first. He escalated first. Right. And he poisoned those two planets against Cardassian life. Right. Cisco responded in kind by poisoning two other planets right. with against against human life. And in right. the end of the episode, we hear about how the Cardassians and the humans have basically swapped evacuated planets. and swapped. So balance has been restored. No, no, the Cardassians didn't lose two planets. The humans didn't lose two planets. Right. Everybody still has them. It's just now the other one can't live there for X amount years. of years. 50 years. Well, we know it's 50 years for the ones that Cisco poisoned. We right. don't know how long it was for the ones that Eddington poisoned. Well, fair enough. I'm just pointing out that if we have any sort of indicator, 50 years is, is yeah. like, it was the amount of time that uh, was said about the Cisco bombings. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's, I, I, I want to be very clear. Like the, the reasoning that Cisco gives makes sense, but man, it cuts a line. It's a very thin line. Like he says that you Eddington have been a, you have been increasingly more dangerous <laughs> and you're an instigator in this area 
And so mm-hmm. I have to take drastic action to get you to stop. So I That's have to. Says. So I have to threaten, basically, uh, threaten and threaten the Marquis in general. He he says the Marquis. Yeah. Uh, the Marquis had been in, in, increasing. He means Eddington, but he says the Marquis. And then um, when Eddington says, okay, fine, I'll just give you my uh, my weapons, he says, no, I need you. And Eddington's like, oh, of course. It's always been personal for you, Captain. Um, so that's why we get to capture him. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, to be very clear, Cisco was uh, on a ship that was partially disabled against orders, and he bobs up a human planet in order to get a result he wants. He really, I mean, wherever the line was, he was so, at it, leaning over and waving on the other side of that line and yes. like seeing how far he could reach over it to see where he could go. But I mean, I can't say that he's wrong. I mean, he got results. And to be fair, I think the Marquis have proven to be the instigators. And sometimes, so yeah. And, you know, yeah. and that's the other part of it, too. We got to re- remember these people who have decided to live in this area that the peace treaty has is, is governing. They are aware of the fact that they are right up on the edge of the frontier and that while the Federation has its own rules and guidelines and policies and whatever in place, the Cardassians are not necessarily. I mean, they're supposed to be bound by the treaty to follow them, but, you know. They're not going to, or they don't necessarily have to, which right. is what this whole thing is about. The the Cardassians frequently violating the terms of the peace treaty, or the Maquis, in this case, the Maquis, who have given up all of their sovereign rights and claims as Federation citizens. They're a rogue agency out there stirring up trouble for everybody else who is still obeying the rules and the guidelines and so forth. Right. Eddington even says, like, these people, they had their homes and whatever out here, and then because of a treaty, all of a sudden they have to give up their whole planet and way of life and whatever else. And he tries to make it seem like they're just these um, deposed refugees who've been kicked off their land and just told, you know, you know, go find something else to do or whatever. But even, but again, Cisco points out, no, they were given opportunities, and these opportunities apparently still exist to have them resettled elsewhere. We will move them elsewhere. They're not meant to live with their own, you know, left to their own devices or anything like that. The Federation is more than willing to help them. They just have to ask for the help and accept the help. They just don't. And when they don't, they give up their rights and they become members of the Maquis. And as Cisco says, you're now becoming a growing threat. You've attacked the Malinche. Now we know that you're going to be attacking Federation um, starships. You have biogenic weapons. We can't just keep this on the level that it was before. You've escalated too far. Now... All of the Maquis are threats. All of the people on these colonies are potential threats. We have to end this threat now, and that's what I'm going to do. Right. Yeah, and this, uh, while we're talking about it, this reminds me, um, we didn't have uh, Calvin Hudson ever show back up ever since he was the Maquis leader in Season 2, you know, Ben's former friend. Um, so I'm a little kind of sad that we haven't seen him much since. I don't know if you have yeah, anything to say we about didn't, him or... Yeah, because they didn't capture Cal. Um, he just kind of disappears for us. So it, this would have been a nice episode for him to return. I'm not sure why they did not bring him back um, right. for this one. Um, most likely with things like this, um, there's probably some kind of scheduling conflict. I'm sure that 
it was thought of. I mean, it's been three seasons since, so yeah. it makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it might have been scheduling conflicts. And then I do know that the actor that they have playing the uh, the captain of the Malinche, they had actually planned a longer run with that actor. They wanted him to become a recurring character who's in the area and stays as kind of a support and backup for DS9. Right. And that was going to continue well on through the sixth and maybe even the seventh season. But ultimately, they couldn't get all of that to work out. So unfortunately, he and the Malinche are not seen again after this. I like that name, the Malinche. I, I don't know what that's from. I need to look that up to find that out. <laughs> if anybody knows really quick and wants to tell me, that's cool. Um, but I just... I, I like the way they name things in Star Trek. You know, it's it's not often that they, you come across one that is um, so different, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, his yeah. Uh, his character was interesting, especially when he goes into Cisco's office and says, you know, you've been taken off this assignment and get given to me because, um, in part, they feel like you're, it's personal because he tricked, he fooled you, is what he says. Yes. And Cisco. If, if someone had fooled around, me, if someone, that's what he says, if someone on my staff had fooled me the way Eddington fooled you, and Cisco gave him the death glare that damn near blasted him through those doors. Yeah. And Avery he was like, Brooks uh, was acting the hell out of that turnaround. Yeah. yeah. That's that uh, same scene where you Poor feel like he's words. taller. Than, uh, yeah. taller than the other and, guy. And um, Cisco grew 10 feet that day to tower <laughs> over this man and scare the hell out of him. <laughs> yeah. It's a funny scene because, like, it is accurate because Cisco agrees. Well, you know, technically he did fool me uh, right after the guy says it. But hey, uh, learn to be a little more taxable, bro. Uh, come on now. But that's but another sign to... of the. But that's another sign of the strength of, of Captain Cisco. He doesn't like what the man says, but he takes the harsh words. And he's like, right. you're absolutely right. Yes. He did fool me. He doesn't shy away from it. He doesn't get in um, Captain Sanders' face or anything like that. Right. He's just like, yeah, he did. He did fool me. And right. that's what I like about him because uh, other captains would have wanted to debate that a little bit. Right. You know, I could see... You know, like Captain Janeway, for example, I mean, she takes, she does take criticism, but I do feel like someone saying that someone blatantly fooled her in this regard, I think that would have been one of those things that she would have reared up about a bit. Right. Um, Kirk, 100%, you can't tell him somebody fooled him. Kirk thinks he's the smartest person in any room he's in, bar none. And if you <laughs> tell him that someone's fooled him, that's that's a no-no. Yeah. Um, I don't know about Picard. I feel like Picard... I don't think anybody would have said someone would have fooled him in the first place. I think they would have said something else. Because the way people treat Picard, I mean, it's almost like you, the man comes in the room and you're halfway kneeling before you realize you, you don't have to kneel. <laughs> you know, it's That's weird. part of his glory is he, he raises right. you up from your kneeling position. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a great moment, too, because it pays off not only at the boxing scene, uh, but then later at the end of the episode after the, the ship, which I can't remember the name of at the moment, um, was disabled. The yeah, after the Maliche is, is uh, disabled, that same captain, whose name I also forget at the moment, has to uh, ask to be towed back, just like the Define had to be towed back. So it shows that, yes, maybe Cisco got fooled once, but he's not the only one. So, um, yeah, yeah. So. Let's do a quick, you know, obviously Cisco versus Picard because it's just so much fun, and uh, we've already been doing it a little bit anyway in this episode. Sure. Um, how do you think this would have played out if, from beginning to end, it was Picard? The fool. Do you think we would have gotten to? Else? Yeah. 
Do you think we would have had so many tense moments? The um, the bo- I know we wouldn't have had the boxing scene for sure. That would have been something else. Like instead of the boxing scene, what would it have been for Cisco or for well, for Picard? So if Cisco is a hot anger, Picard is a cold anger, right? Like Picard, like I'm just thinking of the you know like the the second to last episode of TNG, which was the one where the Marquis was introduced on TNG. Uh, again, with the fantastic Instant Row, or Lieutenant Row by that point. Uh, Lieutenant Row being the one sent to go infiltrate the Marquis. And, like, he's trying to convince her, and by the end of the episode, he betrays, she betrays the Federation to join the Marquis. Um, Picard has that cold fury. And so I feel like, I mean, he, he it does pop out as hot, as, again, First Contact shows us. But I feel like he would have... Um, it's hard to say, but he would have been. Pers- I mean, part of the problem is Cisco's situation is different than Picard's because Picard's already on a on a you know a massive, a very powerful starship as opposed to yeah. So he'd have been able to hunt him easier because he was already maneuverable. Right. Yeah. And so and very- also the Enterprise is also so much larger and more powerful. Right. And so I yeah, feel the Defiance like- a powerful ship, but nothing like the Enterprise. Yeah, so for example, when we find out that the La Minche was disabled, part of you know, that ship looks like a starship as we expect it to look. It looks more like Enterprise and has this, the pylons, etc. So part of me wonders if like is that how powerful Eddington is that he really truly can pull off a deceptive con that even maybe the Enterprise would have fallen for it and disabled the Enterprise. Nah. Like, that's what it really comes down to, is, like... Well, the Enterprise has data, so no. (laughs) That's true. It's not Picard's fault. It's data's... It's not necessarily... Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you think about a lot of it in Next Generation, I mean, that's really what it is. It's data. Well, and then, of course, Counselor Troy would have been like, I don't sense any feelings on the the ship. It's just a... (laughs) There's no one there. Oh, my God. I always thought her inclusion was the funniest part of the whole show, but... She does fine. She she earns her place up in the crew. I I feel like I feel like we could easily make some of those scenes where Cisco and Dax were talking to each other and and you know he's kind of venting his frustrations. Those easily could have been scenes of Picard and Troy kind of going over it and him talking about that, like you said, that kind of cold rage he's got and how he's not so much angry at Eddington for living by his convictions so much as he is disappointed that yes. the man used the Federation the way that he did. Yeah, he and abused used, yeah, yeah. His, his position. Yeah, it's interesting. Now that you mention it, we haven't really talked about it. I mean, the episode's called For the Uniform. Um, and so, yeah, Picard being the... Of, of the two captains being the more by-the-book type definitely would have been kind of more like... I mean... Cisco well, does it too. Like you betray. Cisco the... takes it. Cisco takes it very personally. Yes. Picard takes it at a much more professional level. So, like that's, that's what exactly I'm saying. The it. distinction yeah. would have been Picard would have been like, "I'm disappointed you did it this way, but I can respect a man who wants to live by his own convictions." Whereas Cisco's like, "Nope, you used your knowledge of us and how we trained you against us. Right. You're a traitor. That's treason, and right. I'm bringing you in for treason." That's how yeah. he looks at it. And if I have Cisco, to take some drastic actions to make it happen, mm-hmm. I will. Yeah. Right. That's, that's the Picard, other question. Would yeah, Picard per- have bombed a planet to get this result? No. Absolutely not. Yeah, I, feel I the think same that way. Picard, 
I think that Picard would have threatened it, but then ultimately he probably would have done one of his clever little wink and nods and whatever, yes, and suddenly, yeah. suddenly the ship was would have been surrounded by Cardassians and been like, <laughs> "Look, you can either surrender to the Cardassians who are most likely going to kill you, or right. you can come aboard my lush starship and rest comfortably that until is we get you back for your court martial." He would have had a more diplomatic solution on some level. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that, That's what it, that would have been. The um, it, it it's it, it makes for an interesting scene because uh, again, Vincent in the chat pointed out you know Worf takes two commands from Cisco to actually do the bombing. He like looks at him and uh, Kira takes a moment <laughs> as well to like actually I think yeah Kira right to actually like retrofit the torpedoes with whatever it was. Well, he tells he tells Worf to do it. And Worf does it, but then when he gives the order to actually fire them, Kira looks at Worf when Worf pauses. Right. And so that's the that's the scene that you see is Cisco turns to Worf, makes the order, uh, or no, he gives the order to Worf. Worf pauses. He turns around, and they all look at Worf. Right. Cisco, Kira, and now um, um, Worf. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that Kira didn't object either. Now. Yeah. Considering the fact that, you know, Eddington has been targeting Cardassians, and we all know how she feels about them, I'm surprised that we never get to see a moment where she argues that Eddington is right, you know, yeah. or that Eddington, that he has a reason to uh, have this beef with, uh, with the Cardassians on some level. Now, it could be that they feel like she's already done that, because she did do this a right. couple of episodes ago uh, with Eddington or whatever, so maybe they're feeling like we don't need to rehash that. Plus, it seems like Kira has kind of, you know, she's she's matured a bit, yeah, and her I'd trust say, in Cisco has has deepened as yeah, well. Yeah, there's that. She's also gone to the more gray areas of like, I in order to heal with the Cardassians, I need to find ways to like right. be on their side sometimes. And I forget. I guess it's like, um, is it Kai Win who's the one who's kind of a you know, a poke at her, you know, a thorn in her side about stuff like that. I'm trying to think there's another character. You mean Kaya? Well, Kaya Parker kind of came at her hard when she was still there about that, about, you know, kind of forgiving herself and no, no, I mean, like, past some the, of this. No, like, I, I can't remember if it's Kai Wynn or if it's another character who, like, even a few episodes ago was berating uh, Kira for not, I guess, no, I guess I'm thinking of um, Gold Ducat being more like, oh, why don't you, like, don't you love us Cardassians? Aren't we wonderful and amazing? Oh, yes. And I'm the persona of all wonderful things Cardassian, and um, I can't believe you don't love me more than you do. Um, all the that's... man wants is a statue. Yeah. Just right. one. <laughs> yeah. Just one. But... He wants his children to love him. Yeah. <laughs> okay? Is that so much to ask? Yes! Yes, it is! <laughs> Man is absolutely certifiable, but uh, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, it really is. Um, um yeah. I, but yeah, but I, I love that it did bring Worf up short. Like Yes. And, and and that's and I think it's that moment too that causes us as the audience to question it. Because you know, we hear what the order is, and I think that's why some people so many people blank on the fact that all he did was poison it to human life. He didn't destroy all life on the planet. Right. He's made it to where humans can't live there. Right. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's 
I yeah, mean, it's it's an interesting thing to do for sure. But right. yeah, it's it's the fact that Worf pauses that makes us clued in to the fact yes. that what he's doing is even Worf crossing the line. Worf's the one who's ready to fire torpedoes at anybody. Uh, we've seen him kind of pull the gun too quickly in certain moments. So the mm-hmm. fact that he's even backing up is interesting. Um, all right, you ready for my hot take? The hottest take of the hot takes that I've been th- sitting on for an okay. hour now. All right, shoot, I'm, I'm fire away. You, Let's hear it. This is the hot. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you now. This is a hot take. Um, so the thing I was thinking about at the very beginning of this episode, back when we're in the caves with the mark, uh, with the, the the refugees, and he's looking for Eddington because it turns out that his contact is going to kind of sell them out, sell Eddington out, and it turns out Eddington's got the jump on Cisco instead. But then that conversation they have, they uh. You know, Eddington is is presenting the case of why the Marquis are right. You know, the Federation abandoned these people. They had set up homes, and then the Federation told them to leave, and then all you know, all that. And we've heard it before, but Cisco says, "You know, it's not that simple." And he says, "You're giving these people false hope. You know, you're telling them that they can have what they lost back, and you're causing them to believe in a false hope that's causing all these problems." All right, here's the hot take. And I'm not saying this is an exact one-for-one comparison, but for me, in that moment, what I was thinking about was what's going on in the Middle East right now with Hamas. Yeah. For me, the Maquis and Hamas are the the ones I'm thinking of because I feel like Hamas is the ones that are promising the Palestinians, like, we're going to take back all this land that you feel you've lost. And it's been over 50 years since... If you want to, I, mean, I I have my opinions about the air, about the, that conflict. My my feeling in the moment is that's exactly right when he says you're giving them false hope. In some ways, the best way to move forward is to accept the unfortunate status quo and not use violence, but try and find peace through diplomacy or other ways. Now, again, this is not a one for one comparison. If you start doing one for one comparisons, then you start yeah, finding the yeah, problems you're gonna, in that comparison. You're gonna... Yeah, you're definitely going to find a lot of issues there. Yes, uh, not I have to admit that when I yeah when I started watching this episode again, I did initially think of the same thing. Only right. mine was uh, the reverse. <laughs> um, so fair enough. But I but fair I thought enough. that I thought the same thing. I was just like, okay, we're f- like you're fighting over something. It's it's already happened. There have been multiple treaties. They've lived with this for so long. Why all of a sudden is there this huge, you know, all the all the battling and, and all that stuff. It's like, these, these are things that at this point, the best thing you can do is you're, instead of holding on to generational, um, you know, anger or whatever that is, let, letting that go and finding a way to, to move beyond it here. Yes. It's not like you're still actively being subjugated or oppressed or whatever. You had a stable-ish system and then you decided to to bulk the system right. for whatever reason. So, yeah, um, yeah I... Uh, yeah, I, I had the same thoughts. I didn't want to necessarily say it. I know this, especially what's going on right now. It's a hot button issue. There's as many. It seems like there's as many people on the side of the Palestinians as there are on the side of the Israelis. I have not looked into it enough to have a 100%. This is the side that I'm on. I look at both and I kind of go, you know what? Well, that kind of makes sense. And I'm like, well, you know what? That kind of makes sense. So it's just, you know, 
And uh, as an outsider, I don't feel like I'm qualified to judge right. their their living situation and what they're well, going on. Well, and the there. one thing I want to be clear when I say that, like the Marquis, as Eddington says, they're not killers, which is a very interesting take because we've seen them kill people before. Oh, yeah, they've killed people plenty of like, times. What are you talking about? He's, yeah, but this he's is that like, kind of revisionist history, maybe? Yeah, he's like, no, I just bomb planets in such a way that they have to evacuate the entire planet. <laughs> Or, as he did to the guy, we just marooned them on planets for the rest of their lives. Yeah. So I didn't kill him. He's yeah. going to die there. Yeah, exactly. So, so, yeah, thanks for your mercy. And I just want to be very clear. I'm not saying that Hamas is like, oh, yeah, we're just, we're not killers. No, they, they killed some people. So I'm not making a one-for-one one comparison. I'm just using it as a comparative well, and, I mean, thing and here. For the, and, again, for the for the equality of the statement, the Israelis have killed people, too. So it's it's... Yeah. It's both sides. I'm just going to just stop there because I don't want to offend anybody exactly, because yes. I'm, I'm not as knowledgeable this, on the situation. It's, but it just, it's in the news. It's yes. on our minds. We saw a parallel. And what, I'm, what I'm really getting at here in particular is that the Marquis situation, all of it, from the Cardassian perspective all the way down to the Federation perspective and everything in between, it feels realistic. This feels like yeah. a realistic issue that might actually come up. Two warring factions. Uh, they have a, a demilitarized zone, and the people left there feel abandoned, feel like they need to defend themselves, turn to violence on some level, and that causes issues for both sides of the conflict. One side of the conflict seems to be upholding their side of the agreement, even if people don't like it. The other side seems to be trying to undermine it, and therefore that's why the demilitarized zone people feel like they have to protect themselves. Or it's it's a great conflict in this fictional yeah. universe, uh, or even is, if, if, even if, you know, uh, not necessarily that the other side is not agreeing to it. It's this third party that's kind of made up of it seems to be the majority of one side, but they've disavowed themselves. They are their own group. They just happen to be made up of the people who came from this one particular side, right? And so. That's what's causing the issue because then you have the one group, in this case the Cardassians, who are blaming the Federation. And the Federation's like, but they're the Maquis. They're not a part of us, but we're still get, catching their heat. Right. And that's why the Maquis falls under – that's why the Federation feels the need to police them, right. which in this analogy – so Hamas would be that third grouping there that's kind of out there doing things and everybody's you know blaming – Palestinians at large, but they're like, well, we're not all a part of this particular group. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's again, the, the nuanced situation feels realistic. Oh yeah. They so did a I great like job that. of pulling from, and even for a show that was, you know, 30 years ago, I mean, they did a great job of pulling from real world inspiration to right. make this story on the larger scale work. As we've already pointed out, the more you get into the, the details and take apart your world building. You're going to see things fall apart. We don't have to worry about that in this episode, but yeah, for this broad stroke, they did a great job on this one. And you know, right. when you break it really, when you break it down, it's about Cisco and Eddington and these two got people who are, you know, they want you to think of them as two sides of the same coin, but they're really not. Right. Um, they are quite different individuals and uh, we get to see, you know, how they, you know, mess with each other in such a fantastic way and once right. again yes um avery brooks does a fantastic job in this episode um love it yeah love it. 
the one last thing that we should briefly we should talk about before we finalize is uh, the hollow communicator. Is that the name of the thing? The holographic communicator, the projection, the hollow projecting yeah. communicator, whatever the hell. It, it was it was fun <sighs> to see. I feel like it's it's a great addition. It's uh it's you know you have an actual person there. It's just funny though because Cisco's sitting on his command his his captain's chair like a throne, and he's talking with whoever he's talking with. The other person has to stand, but um. <laughs> I'm just like I'm seeing the other side of that conversation where hello Captain Cisco or hello Emperor Palpatine it kind of feels like that might be how it looks on the other side the slow turn and he comes into he focus is, on their on the bridge hands all yes. people oh man funny and then the one problem I also have with those moments is like especially when Eddington was 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 there he's like telling uh like hey Worf like do the bombing you know do the thing do the shooting. Um, and as opposed to like, hey, don't let Eddington hear me. He's like letting Eddington hear him, which to me is like, doesn't that like undermine? I think that was well. I don't think that, I don't think he was trying to not let Eddington hear him. True the point was to make sure that he was aware that he was following through with the threat because Eddington calls his bluff, and so he wants him to but hear. But there are other he's moments, bluffing. I guess I'm thinking of like earlier yeah. on when, um, like when Eddington first like turns around and comes at them. Um, and, and other mm. moments, because they there are like at least three scenes where Eddington pops up in that little hollow yeah. communicator. Um, so it was fun though, because I mean, I assume it's, they actually had the actor there in that scene in that moment. Yeah, like, they yeah. Were faking no, he's that really there. Yeah, really, he's, he's yeah, yeah. Well, so the interesting little backstory about that is, you know, Ron Moore, uh, writer and director for Deep Space Nine and Battlestar Galactica, um, he really pushed for this bit of technology to be used because he felt that it didn't make sense that they were still using view screens, considering they had started using view screens, you know, in the 23rd century with Kirk and all them. And he's like, so basically, you you mean to say that our technology has not improved at all? We have a better way of doing this, right? Yeah. And he said that, and he said that filming those view screen scenes was very difficult. And when you have a kind of back and forth, the way that they were doing with Eddington here, it would have been more uh, tedious to try to film those with the screen and uh, it, that also it added a level of of tension because you were yeah. thinking that the two guys were in the same room right. and it and it kind of even though they're technically not right. it did help to make the feeling of the the danger and the threat a bit more yeah. um, realistic he's right there i could just grab him yeah. by the throat and just choke him out right. or something he's yeah. not a, he's not a big face on a screen he's there in the room he's so close you could almost touch him right. you know um, but there was a lot of pushback on uh, the use of the holographic projector because the feeling is it takes away from one of the key elements of what Gene Roddenberry wanted for Star Trek, which was basically um, you know, filming the show and keeping to a certain budget. And by using a view screen, it does allow you to get more out of your budget because you can kind of fill things in and post-editing and whatever else. Um, And you don't have to pay for an actor to necessarily be on set that same day and all the other kind of stuff. But um, I, I, but I agree. I think that it's, it's nice to see a progression of some technology. We know that things change. And so that's no more true just because it happens to be the 24th century. It doesn't mean they've reached the apex of technology and it's never going to change again. We should see an evolution and outgrowth of certain frequently used technology. Like we would assume the view screen is, Right. You know, so yeah, I I liked it, and um, um, it's a, it also becomes kind of a 
a running joke because it's mentioned a couple of times on other Trek shows as to why they don't have one <laughs> and w- and when the technology went into went into practice, you know. So uh, I think that's funny. Like the Strange New World show and Discovery um, both make references to having attempted it, but then it caused a catastrophic failure. And so they just gutted the whole system and never touched it again. You know, so it's like this technology that's actually a couple hundred years old and they just don't like it. And now they've brought it back. And here goes, and here comes O'Brien being like, oh, the holographic communicator I installed works perfectly. Yeah, it's true. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I do like the addition of it, frankly. I think it does make sense. Uh, in the in yeah. the technology of the of the world as we know it at this point, um, I do feel like I still want to see this view screen sometimes. Like it, it like oh, they're not. It's not going to go away. I'll tell you yeah. right now, the view screen does not go away. Right. I mean, because in in other episodes, the view screen makes sense. But yeah, there's going to be other times that come up where the hollow projector is back. So got it. Okay, uh, that's right. there's your spoiler. There's your oh, <laughs> one out loud. We we see this technology again. Yeah. Okay. Speaking so of spoilers. This is the halfway point of season five, man. All right. Yeah, we got like moving we, right we, along. Me and my roommate were calculating. We probably have about a year, maybe a year and a half left of uh, episodes left to record. So. Are you already trying to figure out ways to get rid of me, David? Is that what this is? Well, Are you counting down? <laughs> counting down to when you never have to talk to me again? Well, I, I see thought, how it is. I thought when you quit <laughs> our job that one time, that was the end of you. But no, not anymore. <laughs> Learned that lesson long ago. <laughs> no, I hated I hated the job. I didn't hate you. <laughs> yeah, you drove to CV right away. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, you were around the corner in all fairness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was stuff. That was funny. I was like, Perry, it's the middle of the day. What are you doing? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I quit. That's what I'm doing here. I quit. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, well, I think that's going to do it for us on this um, dynamic episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Um, real quick, just to give you some uh, heads up here. Apparently, they are uh, full go on the Section 31 movie. Uh, they have not had a release date yet, but they have said that um, initial filming has begun so hopefully we will hear about more of that soon um, Strange New Worlds has also gone into production on its uh, upcoming season so uh, again that show will probably be coming out next year by the way that they do their filming um, the final season of Discovery is set to come out in April of this year um, there's already a lot of hype about it they're going to actually drop uh, the first episode at a Comic-Con, I think they said. So you might be able to catch that if you go to those or anything like that. No word yet on the return of Lower Decks. Uh, Prodigy is set to return on Netflix at least for one season. Um, one more season, I should say. And you can catch all of Prodigy on Netflix. You can't watch it on Paramount for some strange reason. No one seems to know why. As for all the other treks, you can definitely watch those on Paramount Plus if you have a subscription or whatever. And that's where you can, um, yeah, that's where I watch this show or Deep Space Nine anyway. Um, as for us, you can find us and follow us anywhere you happen to do your social medias. And you can listen to us anywhere you happen to listen to podcasts. I do it on Spotify. So, guys, until next week, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys.